hey, welcome to Seattle on Tap. I'm Courtney Jacobson, and you're yawning. Right. <laughs> and I'm sleeping. I set us up right when you're gonna yawn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh man. And I'm well, when it's basically, I feel like in Seattle we've reached the. Um, biblical flooding portion of our Armageddon stage. Seems accurate. Yeah. It's very wet and cold. Yeah. Considering I mean, it's, it's, amazing, but it's cold. Yeah. 2020 Armageddon times. Now it's raining and I think my neighbor's basement is flooding. Yeah, right before we started recording, somebody came to let Courtney know that there's a spur main issue on their end. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, I really hope it's something they can fix on their own. Oi, <laughs> <laughs> they. Um, so, how's it going? Other than the biblical flooding and being cold and tired. <laughs> Good. I uh, right before we recorded, I ate some of the granola that you made, and it was oh yay! Courtney and I earlier just had a um, like quote unquote recess break. Yeah, I was having recess, and I came and had a beer and dropped off some bread and some soap that I made, and got some granola that was delicious. Mm -hmm. And that bread was pretty amazing. And as you posted on Instagram, we yeah. were dinner Kinsies. Yeah. <laughs> Bread and beers, save dinners. I'm telling you, we're this much closer to just buying a bigger house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Daniel would love that. <laughs> I mean, recording days would be so much easier if we didn't have to deal with fighting internet issues. <laughs> we kind of were today, but fingers crossed, it seems like it's going pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. On this uh, rainy, shitty day, what are you drinking today? Yeah, so my beer today has nothing whatsoever to do with my story. It only has to do with the fact that it's shitty and rainy out, and I was like, there's only dark beer for me today. Um, so... I'm holding up my glass like I'm going to cheers you or something. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. We'll get that not, on that. Cheers. Not, yeah. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> so I'm drinking the coffee coconut stout. It is an imperial milk stout from Weldworks Brewing. And uh, they are in Greeley, Colorado. This is, where did I see that? Darn it. Oh, here we go. It is a, it's 8.0% ABV. And I just dropped one of my coasters on the floor. Dang it. <laughs> I mean, you know where it is. <laughs> I can't fall any further than it has at this point. So that's yeah. good. It's super dark. Look at that. I feel like I'm drinking a cup of coffee. That was the other thing. I knew I had a coffee stout in the fridge and just with the whole gloomy day with torrential rain i'm like i'm gonna need a little bit of a pick-me-up <laughs> mm -hmm. you can How taste a little it? bit of the coconut it's not crazy strong yeah 
it's not really cloudy or anything, which for a milk stout, I would think it would maybe be somewhat, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just mentally confusing things, but um, it's very easy to drink. It's not overpoweringly coconut. It's kind of just more of a hint, which mm. when it's colder, I'd rather have just a hint rather than an even keel of coconut, you know? Yeah. But uh, I'm a fan. What about you? What are you drinking? Uh, well, as we normally do, we're drinking something sort of similar. Uh, I, which this is also just like pitch black. Um, you literally can't see through it at all. Yeah. Um, but the North Coast Brewing Old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty classic Russian Imperial Stout. It's full-bodied, rich, a little bit creamy, but really complex. Um, has aromas of dried fruit, coffee, and dark chocolate, but also is kind of got like the piney resininess you would expect for like a CDA. Oh, okay. Um, North Coast basically did the traditional style, but then added like American style hops to it. And it actually, the IBUs are uh, 75. Oh, pretty dang. high. Yeah. Yeah, for stout. Um, and actually the alcohol by volume is pretty reasonable at 9%. So yeah, and there's some fun coffee, but it's not sweet at all. Considering all those things, it's really dry. It's delicious, but I knew I wanted to drink this beer at some point mm -hmm. because I just like it so much, and it's kind of an old school classic. Um, so here we are. Nice. And then you were telling me that you chose your story based on your beer. Yeah, shocker. Uh, today, my story is going to be about Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, what could I drink and talk about something weird? Oh, old Rasputin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and well, you know not start today, so. I know, I'm which I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm also excited because I picked a thing that yet again has a bunch of shit that's really hard to pronounce in it. So <laughs> you have all of that and more to look forward to, you guys. <laughs> Should we get on into it? Let's do it. All right. All right. So my, the title, by the way, I wrote in my notebook is Rasputin and a good excuse to drink great beer. <laughs> So Grigory Yefimovic Rasputin was born in Pokrovskoy in Siberia in 1869. He was one of eight children to peasant parents. Uh, he was also the only of those children to survive their childhood, which is like some major womp womp. Yikes. <laughs> Based on his social class, it was super likely that he never received any form of formal education. In fact, he probably was illiterate until his adulthood. E which happened a lot back in the yeah. day, you know. Uh, some of the records from the local area that were able to be found by researchers said that he was pretty known in the area for being a troublemaker in his teenage and early adult years, uh, showing that he may have been involved in some minor crimes like theft and, you know, drinking in public and also just being kind of a general pain in the ass to the cops. Mm -hmm. um, then in 1887, he married to a, a peasant woman he met uh, while he was on a journey uh, in a town called Abalak, Russia. And her name was 
Praskovia Dubrovina. I'm hopefully <laughs> knocking the shit out of the park today. <laughs> the couple only dated for a few months before they got married. And then shortly after returning to Pokrovskoy, they had seven kids together, but only three of those ch children survived to adulthood, which is like, you know, pre-vaccination times. I mean, kids don't, have some kids and don't get attached for a while. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, they're so nice. Okay, we'll be real nice to them until they're seven and we know they'll stay alive for a while. Right? Like now, <laughs> you know, if you get pregnant, you don't say anything for three months. I uh -huh. guess then you didn't tell people you had a kid till they were 10. <laughs> Oh, by the way, here's our 10-year-old. They made it. <laughs> and then vaccines were made. Uh. <laughs> uh, in 1897, Rasputin left his hometown on a religious pilgrimage. Actually running away from the authorities because he got caught on a horse. Uh, and, you know, he didn't want to go to jail for it. So he would hide out at a monastery. Hmm. As one does. He was now 28 years old, uh, and he had one of his kids at the time, and his wife, 10 years, was not pregnant with their second kid. So that he had a lot going on, too. So it's possible he was like, fuck, yeah. you're going to rid of me. And, you know, uh, during time at the monastery, he became fascinated with the discipline and practices of the monks. He began following the teachings of the Russian Orthodox Church after being inspired by these humble monks. Uh, it was thought that he may have actually, during that time, finally learned how to rewrite, um, which is pretty cool to I finally mean, yeah, the know monks that. Were basically the scholars back then, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and he also was now just kind of finding himself as a new man. You know, he had grown up in this weird criminal kind mm. of slum life. Um, and now he was, you know, kind of returning home, um, more empowered to be a better person and follow what the monks did. Mm. Um, well, as he returned home, all his friends and family noticed that he was pretty different too. In fact, they described him as looking disheveled. Yep. Uh, and he had also quit eating meat and drinking, which uh, back in that area at the time was a really common practice of the monks in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately for him, that wouldn't last that long. It's <laughs> nice to be like, oh God, I'm not an alcoholic anymore, but you know, that doesn't always, <laughs> doesn't always work. Um, he spent a lot of his time praying and during his time, during this time rather, he began describing having visions. Um, and so he would kind of started coming and going from Pokrovskoy and would travel around. He went to like Greece and Egypt and other places that um had like old school um religious sites okay. to go see and basically continuing his mission to try to find answers to yeah. mystic powers okay. yeah. or whatever. Um during this time he claims to have started receiving visions. <laughs> <laughs> like uh okay. he began followers during this time with you know they started hearing all the shit he was talking about. And he also, he had started claiming that he was having all sorts of visions, like I said, but he would tell his followers, I had a vision about you that this would happen. I would have a vision about you that this happened. And so they were just obsessed with him and thought he was the best um, and started praying with him on Sundays when he was in town. 
he began to build quite a reputation for himself as a holy man, and some folks believe that he actually had mystical powers on top of his uh, other, you know, prediction powers. Well, <laughs> it was also said that during this time, he went right back to his old ways and started drinking insanely again. Uh, other members of the village didn't approve messages and practices he spoke of. It was rumored that while he held private services in a local root cellar, that he would make the female um, followers bathe him previous to each meeting, which is extra creepy. Lovely. They also, I guess, were singing songs that the villagers had never heard. So they started having rumors that he was actually like doing some sort of a pagan practice. Mm -hmm. <sighs> He's <laughs> uh, <laughs> but one of them, another big rumor that started flying around at that time was that Rasputin had joined a religious sect, which I believe was called the Kalists, Kylos, I can't remember how to say it now, um, which wasn't ever proven necessarily, but for the sake of saying, they were an offshoot, aka a cult, of the Russian Orthodox Church that originated in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, they believed that... Um, Jesus Christ was not actually born the son of God, but instead was chosen to become the son of God as an adult. Um, yeah, and they believe that my, the Virgin Mary was actually not a virgin, that she was, you know, sexually active and became pregnant. And then later God chose him as um, anywho, why that was seemingly important to add is that due to the rumors of Rasputin participating in their practices, they included flogging himself, oh, as well as sexual okay. orgies, which the Russian Orthodox Church would have very much frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, that's like combining really out there paganism, but also the extra super Catholic. Yes. Uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, having said that, although it was never proven he was like linked to that place or that religion rather, um, there was a lot of talk everywhere he bit went about his promiscuity. So it's mm -hmm. completely possible that that might've actually been true. Probably. <laughs> Soon stories of Rasputin, the charismatic holy man had begun to spread out of the village. And in 1905, he began to, or I'm sorry, he didn't begin to do anything. He traveled to Kazan where he, um, <laughs> was held in a very high regard as the spiritual guide um, to help, like he was really basically traveling around like Jesus performing miracles. He was traveling around and helping people with their personal crisis and anxieties, which I sort of got the impression that he was kind of like, hey, let me tell you about this amazing thing that's gonna happen to you. And it's something really generic, like today you're gonna find an apple or you know some stupid yeah. shit, but was helping people feel like he could predict their better yeah, they were special and yeah or whatever yeah whatever um local uh, church officials had started hearing about him and despite the rumors of his sexual relationships with his female followers he was given a letter of recommendation to travel to saint petersburg to the saint petersburg Theo theological seminary at the alexander davinsky monastery uh -huh. once he was there again he went over everybody in the ch church um, and his popularity then gained him access to gatherings that were kind of held by more influential folks. Like, you know, back in the day, the church was pretty high up in the food chain um, and they were rubbing elbows with, you know, the royal families and 
emperors and things at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and in fact, they used a lot of the clergy folks as their advisors. So oh. getting uh -huh. your foot, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon he caught the attention of the imperial family, Tsar Nicholas II and his wife, Alexandra. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, shortly after their meeting, Rasputin would start flexing those supernatural abilities after hearing that Nicholas's, Nicholas II's son, Alexei, was in super poor health. Mm. The boy was suffering from a blood disorder called hemophilia. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, it is uh, when a person's blood doesn't clot properly due to the lack of like proteins that make that happen in your body. Mm -hmm. And so Rasputin told the both of the emperor and empress, they said, he said, you know, you should really just let me heal Alexi. Don't take him to the doctor anymore. Cool. Pretty much as soon as they pulled him out of the physician's care and put him in Rasputin's care, he was suddenly miraculously better. And they pretty much were like, oh my God, you are a miracle worker and now you have to be on the royal court. <laughs> but fun fact, it turns out that the treatment, part of his treatment, which they did in a lot of things, was they were giving him aspirin to treat pain, which as we all know is a blood thinner. In, yeah. And so this poor fucking kid was essentially like bleeding out internally because they were giving him aspirin when he already had, couldn't clot. <laughs> and so it was like a happy accident, basically, that he's like, I'll cure him. <laughs> crazy assholes like I'll do it oh look wow wow okay <laughs> <laughs> proof, um, <got> proof. <laughs> so funny I was like oh that sucks that's an unfortunate coincidence <laughs> um in 1914 while Rasputin was on a trip to his hometown he was attacked by a 33 year old peasant woman named Chionia Guseva I think is how you say her name Okay. She attempted to assassinate Rasputin by stabbing him in the stomach right in front of his house. He basically walked outside and she just fucking shanked his ass. <laughs> How did he shank her? His wounds ended up recovering. Jeez, English is so hard today. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, his wounds required surgery and the doctors didn't seem too hopeful that like he would actually survive this attack. They were, he, I mean, getting stabbed in the stomach is pretty risky now. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in your stomach and oh, yeah. before x-rays and shit, so. But by some miracle, he did survive. <laughs> yes. During this time, although many uh, thought of him as a wise and powerful holy man, many people had started forming the opinion, including folks with political influence, that he was a false prophet. Mm. But the imperial family believed in him full-heartedly, and around this time, World War I was ending. Rasputin now having like the full trust of the imperial family uh, made a prediction he shared with them that was the their entire, you know, empire was basically going to fall into chaos soon. And he was going to help. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, this gave the Tsar and his wife the fucking creeps, but rather than dwell on it, in 1915, Nicholas II took command of the Russian army and his wife took responsibility for the domestic policy affairs. The show must go on, I guess. Yeah. 
While Nicholas II was away at war, he did receive a letter from Rasputin saying that he had had a vision, and he was really concerned about the well-being of the Tsar, saying that in his vision, Nicholas and his family would be killed by government officials, um, that it was basically there was going to be a murder and they were all going to die. Cool. Rasputin maintained his role as an advisor while the Tsar was away and offered his guidance and advice to Alexandra, who was kind of handling all the shit at home. Mm-hmm. And during this time, there were constantly folks basically following her around being like, they kept, they referred to him as the mad monk, which I think is kind of funny, but they would be like, you can't listen to him. He's a crazy guy. Don't take advice from him. And this included a lot of members of their own family and folks like in their own rank, social rank. And she was totally devoted to trusting him. And it really fucking pissed all the other advisors they were fucking like they were there first (laughs) (laughs) bitch please i was here first (laughs) get out of here (laughs) then on december 29th of 1916 a group of advisors which included members of the czar's family invited rasputin to the palace of the grand duke dmitry polovic pavolovic i don't know how to say it pavolovic i don't know i think that's right one of them. It's one of the three things I just said. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you get Don't it. hate everybody. I barely speak English as it is. Um, <laughs> so these advisors were like, we'll invite him over and we're going to just have this wonderful little gathering. We're going to make him feel really welcome. And so they served him tea and wine and cakes, trying to be, you know, treat him like an honorary guest at the palace. The only thing was... Those cakes were actually laced with cyanide. Of course they were. (laughs) Rasputin ate and drank and ate and drank, finding himself getting pretty drunk by the late hours of the evening. But much to the shock of all these men, uh, everything seemed totally fine, other than the fact that he was fucking hammered. They could not figure it out. So now, pissed off and confused why their attempt at killing him didn't work, they (laughs) shot Rasputin in the chest. And then they were like, okay, he's dead this time for reals. Then all of a sudden, Rasputin <laughs> jumps up and attacks one of the men. Oh my God. <laughs> Their chase and fight ended out up in the courtyard of the palace where Rasputin was then shot two more times at close range. Oh my including God, like a real, real life horror movie. For real. <laughs> they shot him directly in the forehead. I like, I don't know. I don't think that was actually not the last shot, which is even crazier. Like he was still going after getting shot in the head, which is crazy to me. <laughs> so now finally dead in the early hours of december 30th 1916 men threw rasputin into the local river and three days later his body was found he was 47 years old when he died so then they did an autopsy like you do and during that autopsy in addition to the three gunshot wounds it was noted by the examiner that he had a huge slice down his left side. I like that I just pointed at my right side and I was talking about my left side, by the way. Uh, <laughs> left to me. <laughs> I did it on purpose, I mean. You totally knew what you were doing. <laughs> we are professionals. <laughs> just, yep. I think I'm too sober as we're wrong. Um, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We've both had a day. <laughs> we certainly fucking have. 
Um, so in addition to the left side injury, he also apparently had sustained several other injuries post-mortem, which is kind of weird. I mean, when you're um, mad at a guy, you take your punch when you can. <laughs> um, they also, of all the three gunshot wounds he received, they were only able to extract one bullet. Um, and it was so fucked up. They couldn't figure out what kind of gun it actually came from. They were they couldn't like prove that it was one of the higher up advisors. And then lastly, the, med- the examiner stated that he didn't see any form of poison, including cyanide in the system of- What the? <laughs> so it's thought that when he basically told the staff that created the cakes or was setting everything up, the person got so like freaked out and guilty that they couldn't do it. They chickened out, but they just didn't say anything. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's what they think happened. Um, Rasputin's funeral was held on January 2nd of 1917 in a small church. The Imperial family and other affluent families attended, but they did not invite his wife or kids or even his mistress that they all knew. Oh, neat. (laughs) Yeah, they were like, no, he's ours. Good day. (laughs) Shortly after the death of Rasputin in March of 19... I wrote 1997, which is not the right year. 1917. <laughs> <took> a while. <laughs> 80 years later. <laughs> a million years later. That is a relevant date later, but not right now. <laughs> 1917, the Tsar and his family were all murdered by assassins during the Russian Revolution, which is exactly what Rasputin said was going to happen. Rasputin's remains were then dug up by soldiers from the opposing armies and burned after the murder of the imperial family so that it couldn't be used as a memoriam or visited by the supporters of the Romanov dynasty. And also just because I decided to do the story of Rasputin, and I know this entire time, other than the fact that you guys are like, Ashley can't speak English or Russian. (laughs) I know every fucking person was like, but what about Anastasia? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to break all your little hearts now and tell you that, yes, technically he was connected to Anastasia, but only in the sense that Anastasia was one of the Tsar Nicholas II's children, and she was actually killed in the revolution alongside her family. Yeah. Sadly, Rasputin did not have a witty, charming little bath that followed him around trying to sabotage a little girl. Yep. The 1997, for reals this time, there it animated is. film Disney. was actually based on the imposter uh, of Anastasia and Anderson. Yeah. It was sort of a conspiracy theory that went around when the assassinations happened that suggested the possibility that Anastasia had actually escaped. Right. And they wanted to find her because they wanted to be able to restore the imperial family's place of power. But it was confirmed after, I mean, I guess it happened all the time that people would be like, I found this little girl, it'd be their fucking kid. And they'd be like, I found this little girl. It's totally Anastasia. Mm-hmm. She's in power now. And so we, because we found her, we should get money for that or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, but it was confirmed in 2009 via DNA testing that she was in fact one of the kids lying alongside her parents in, in their burial situation. So that story was very much made up. And yeah, all about hopefulness. <laughs> I will say though that movie, uh, I was a little bit older when that movie came out, mm-hmm. but my sister loved it. And one of my yeah. favorite things in that movie is the bat. Yeah. And I love when there's a line in that movie when 
Rasputin says to the bat, and what are you going to do to Anastasia once you catch her? And he goes, <laughs> I'm going to hook, and I'm going to hop, and I'm going to kick her, sir. It's one of the best lines. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but anyway, I really just had that story because I wanted to drink the beer. So yeah. a little history lesson about a weird it's mystery. It's a good one. It's, I mean, there's a lot more history. time when as a U.S. citizen, for the most part, Russia is kind of enemy-ish territory um, with all the things politically happening. Um, it's, a, it's a good one to look back and, yeah. I will also say that folks listening, you should, I, you know, this is, we're not like a five-hour show. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of shit happening in Russia at that time. And there was a lot of movements and I mean, a lot of shit going on. Lots of shit happening because of different wars. Yeah. And there were a lot more things that were impactful to the story of Rasputin. I just couldn't, there's no way that we would have, unless I did like a five part series on Rasputin, it's just never gonna happen. So right. if you wanna know more, look it up. As my grandma used to say, look it up. Ask which back, back <laughs> yeah. We didn't have to Google when I was a kid. It was get a book, read it. Go Dewey yeah. Decimal System forever. One of my favorite things back like when I was still bartending, because I mean at this point, I haven't worked since March 13th. And so I'm basically just an unemployed person. Um <laughs> congratulations. I'm just kidding. I'm a I'm a freelance researcher writer. Um <laughs> so far nobody's paid for it, but um, like that, <laughs> but yeah, one of my favorite lines bartending is always, Ooh, I don't know the answer to that, but you know, who does Google? <laughs> <laughs> I am so jealous of kids in this day and age, because when I was right? a kid, like I said, my grandma would be like, look it up, mm-hmm. but to look it up, like legit had research. Mm-hmm. Now, anything you want the answer to, you can just fucking Google it. Research is actually fun now. <laughs> I know. Instead of sitting at the library for like 50 million hours reading every goddamn book in the whole library to figure out the answer to one question. <laughs> right? And hoping that the books are even still there. Somebody doesn't have it checked out. <laughs> True. Well, on that note... Um, I'm guessing after telling all that story, you were probably thirsty. And uh, I do have a second drink for this episode because at this point, we just know that I'm going to drink two beers. I'm going to have to grab one too because my yes. beer is really good. And I was just powering <laughs> through. Nobody else so, can see, but I but was yeah, that's, time. That's almost a step. Like, there yeah. is like a layer. It's basically a film of beer at the bottom of my glass. And that's all it's that right for. there is the amount that an older sibling or a young, well, that a sibling leaves in so they can say, I didn't drink it all. I shared. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't drink it all. <laughs> okay. Right, so I'll go, grab beer. I'll go grab my beer. You guys don't leave. We'll be right back. Yes. Ready? All right, we are back. So we both went and grabbed another beer. Um, what are you drinking? 
<laughs> oh, all right. Uh, this time around, I've gone a little lighter, um, but it is fresh hot season here in the world. And so I decided I should probably celebrate that by drinking a fresh hot beer. Um, so I'm drinking the Mirage Brewing Pleasure Race Fresh Hop IPA. Um, they used, so they made 15 barrels of this IPA and they used 400 pounds of fresh centennial cones to make this beer and then double dry hopped it with more centennial hops. And which, so first at 6.4 also. So I was just telling you, I had this beer on draft yeah, and now I'm having it via can. And I when I first had it, I didn't like it, to be honest. And now having it in the can and in the comfort of my own home, I'm realizing that what I was off put by is that it's so concentrated in hops mm -hmm. that it almost feels like you're drinking water. But it's not, it's not bad at all it's really good in fact i like the flavor it's just a fucking lot of it <laughs> like, like most folks when you drink an ipa you're like there's malt more malt or like citrus or yeah. you know whatever this is like drinking fucking hop juice <laughs> it's like the wrestler personality of hops i'm in your face <laughs> i'm here brother <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> when I'm laying down. <laughs> but I am a giant fan of Fresh Hops. And as I've said previously on mm -hmm. the show, I, I was really fucking sad that we didn't get to do the Fresh Hop Festival at the bar I work at because we usually have like a hundred, I think over the weekend, a hundred different Fresh Hops or something. Uh -huh. Like 40 or 50 on a day. Yeah, I keep getting the, the notifications of like what you guys keep putting on draft. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I don't dislike this at all. Yeah, it's just so it's a lot of fucking hops. Um, <laughs> God, it's a hop tea based up in here. But um, <laughs> not all beer was up. I shit, <laughs> Courtney. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, I had a couple this year so far that I fucking loved. And if you, Courtney, get your hands on the Ravenna Ooh. that I kept talking about on social media over and over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah, it's I keep a that. Mm -hmm. So fucking good. Oh, I just had but a if good you like very poppy things, you would probably also like the Mirage, just putting it out there. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Mirage is usually a really good beer anyway, so. Oh, man. I've recently, fuck, I can't remember it now. We recently had a Mirage IPA on draft of the pub that knocked my fucking socks off. It's you like and I both had it, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 God damn it. It was so good. I wish I could remember the name of it. I can't, though. Mm. So good. Yeah. I can't think of the name. I can't either. It was really good, though. Um, so I also went and got a beer and this one, um, my good friend, Daniel, that lives in Kansas city, who occasionally comes out to Seattle. Um, he brought me a few beers this time. Well, he does every now and again, but anyway, um, he brought me a few from his very favorite 
brewery. It's called Diametric Brewing Company and they're in Lee's Summit, Missouri. So all my Missouri friends, make sure and go support this brewery because they do good shit. Um, this one is <laughs> hilarious and delicious. Um, <laughs> the label I'm has so this jealous. Like, peanut butter ogre looking dude. It's with like a one piece swimsuit and goggles and yeah a little floaty guy anyway so it says it's called rhymes with smeeses so you know reese's <laughs> just such a good <laughs> yeah and then it says meet chuck chuck is a master of mixtapes and mashups Gulp up Chuck's fly fusion of flavor rhymes with smeeses. <laughs> it's a sweet chocolate porter <laughs> bursting with salty, sweet peanut butter goodness, which when he handed this to me, I was like, whoa, that's going to be dessert in a glass. And I'm, it's, it's a small, it's a regular 12 ounce can, you know, I say small because <laughs> we're bougie and we're used to the larger cans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> My last one was the larger can. Anyway, um, so I was like, ooh, I'm barely going to be able to finish that. That's going to be so sweet. But it's actually, while it is sweet and, uh, excuse me, um, it does taste desserty. It's not overwhelming sweet. And I honestly have no idea how they got such an accurate taste of peanut butter and chocolate. The peanut butter part is what really blows my mind because it tastes like real peanut butter without the crazy viscosity. And it's it's not disgusting. It doesn't taste fake. It, my mind is blown. This is a full on dessert beer and it's delicious. <laughs> it sounds so good. Okay. So with that, I am also going to talk about some culty shit. <laughs> yes. So you and I made right same dinner, drinking similar beer, and now similar stories. <laughs> We're gonna have to take another break so that we don't continue this like third beer. I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> Maybe off recording. <laughs> Oh, okay. <clears throat> so today my my story is on the Love Family Cult. Ooh. Yeah, this is Washington State's largest, most prolific, and longest running cult in the state. Mm. Yeah, from 1968 to 2016-ish. I say ish because they may or may not still be going. <laughs> All right. Um, the cult was founded by Paul Erdman, who later became known as Love Israel. Uh, Erdman was born in Berlin, Germany in 1940, but was actually raised here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, in the in the mid-60s, he sold his belongings and went to San Francisco. 
He ended up living in the Haight-Ashbury area, which in the mid to late 60s, we all know, was all about that hippie-free love. Um, <laughs> it was like hippie central, the Haight-Ashbury. Um, <clears throat> so he had a best buddy slash roommate, and they did acid together, as people did in that time. And that's funny, because I thought name, love is real, was just a Stony Baloney moment, being like, love is real, I'll be Israel. Ah, that is, <laughs> I'm a, I'll get there, but that is legit how he got his name. Love is real. Yes. <laughs> But then go on. they're doing the A and the E, and so it's uh, love is real, A E L instead of E A L. Oh boy, yeah, because Israel is the whole you know Jesus God stuff. Um, <laughs> there and I like it. <laughs> Some of that Jesus God stuff. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so he did acid, and he saw Jesus in the eyes of his buddy that he's doing acid with. Um, <laughs> so obviously he decides to fully change his life <laughs> as one does after seeing Jesus in their friend's eyes on acid. Um, <laughs> so he decides, I'm going to go. <laughs> What's that? I said, don't do that, you guys. Do drugs. <laughs> I've had an epiphany and I'm changing my whole life. Uh, I mean, it's the drugs, people. If you're going to do acid, fine. Do your acid. But you don't have to ruin a bunch of people's lives and steal their shit and start a cult. Anyway. <laughs> so he moves back to Seattle. And he's like, okay, I saw Jesus. It was religious to me. I'm going to start this religious community in Seattle. So he brings his best buddy that he did acid with. And then he gathers a few, another, like a little handful of friends and they, I just keep burping. Sorry, man. It's gotta stop eventually. I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> My own personal mixtape. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. Um, so <laughs> not even that's not right. You're burp boxing. Instead of beat my, I'm boxing. drinking a, this beer that's pretending it's a DJ and it's making me DJ. Okay. So he goes back home. He gets about six, eight friends together. They all get a house, tiny little house on Queen Anne Hill, which Queen Anne is one of the oldest neighborhoods here in Seattle. So just up the hill from downtown Seattle. Also the highest point in Seattle, isn't mm -hmm. it? And originally all the rich people live there. So it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there they lived simply and according to four key beliefs or guidelines, um, very strong belief in Jesus, following Jesus's word. They read the Bible. Um, also, love is the answer, and we are one, and now is the time. All just vague enough for some serious hippie shit. Um, <laughs> so, 
So just vague enough so that you make it mean what you want it to mean. And then, yeah, you follow me. Um, so this all actually, this part, I, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, this all stressed their core belief that all people are one, that acceptance of all people, um, we're all kind of bound together on this earth and through love, we can come together. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, in a way, that's cool. That doesn't hurt anybody. So um, they also wanted to create a better world. And again, I'm, I don't hate any of that part. So this beginning stage of what ended up being a cult um, with very few members is when they're kind of getting their groove. They're all living in this house. They're smoking weed. Obviously it's the late sixties. Um, and Paul, that's when Paul Erdman started going um, by love Israel because love is real guys. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> killing me. <laughs> and he didn't stop there. He was like, Okay, so I'm not Paul Erdman now, guys. I'm gonna like start dressing like Jesus and we're all hippies and that's cool and we smoke weed all the time, but my name's Love Israel and you guys need to also be something Israel. So everyone's last name changed to Israel and they all went by some sort of virtue or Bible word like Ezekiel or harmony, strength, Eden, richness which that was another one that i'll explain later but um <laughs> uh serious there's there was a bunch i watched a little documentary and i'm like i can't keep track of these names and i love them all this is amazing <laughs> i also want to say that i think first of all this is probably going to upset daniel when he eventually listens and hears it oh no i'm imagining that love is real I, or maybe i'll make him laugh i don't know looks exactly like Jared Leto. Yep. Like it's just but, Jared Leto. Uh, Jared Leto is real, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Leto in his long hair, long beard days. Yes. But not quite that thin. Because, you know, Jared Leto got super thin for a while there. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Pretty similar, but with Jesus clothes, robes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes. Um, so as the co the community grew, they acquired more houses, as cults do. You join, and uh, because you're a part of the community, you donate all of your belongings, including your your stuff. Don't so they, it. yeah. They have upwards of 15 houses in the Queen Anne neighborhood in a very nice, prolific, big house, historic homes neighborhood. Like that. It's amazing. It's called Cult Hill now. Yeah. So <laughs> they ended up at one point combining two houses because they owned two next door from each other. And like they took these two houses and they didn't like scoot them together, obviously, because, you know, foundations, but they built <laughs> an in-between part. And because a, 
a good handful of these people were actually very skilled uh, construction masons, yada, yada. They knew what they were doing. And if you ever want to, maybe hit pause right now and do a quick little Google and look up the former Love Cult House in Queen Anne, Washington, or Queen Anne, Seattle. You can, you know how to Google. You're not dumb. <laughs> um, and you can find houses, you, houses, no, you can find pictures of this house on the inside of it. <laughs> and I can't even begin to describe, I can, I can tell you they had these ornate rounded ceilings and rounded archways that just me saying that sounds cheesy and stupid, but if you look at this, you're like, how did they make these ceilings look like that? Because they just, the lines and architecturally, it's very impressive. Um, but yeah, they, they were like, mm, this house, this house, let's build some in between and we'll make it a ginormous mansion. So, so they did that. Um, and, and okay, so in fact, in the year 2017, half of the mansion was on the market because eventually they didn't own this house anymore. They split it in two, kind of like a crazy expensive duplex. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, half of the house was on the market and it was listed in 2017 at $1.7 million. So if that tells you anything about how beautiful this place was, half of it. <laughs> Hashtag real estate is real. Oh, yeah. Let's not even go into that. And I wrote here, yikes. Okay. <laughs> so Indeed. now we know for the most part where they lived, where they, where they were. Um, life and days in the cult. We have... Um, the love family they were as they ended up being called because love was their leader um and their core belief weird um <laughs> the love family members had a pretty set daily schedule mornings would actually start with a pre-dawn meditation sesh and they even would serve sacrament aka weed and coffee and i'm kind of like I don't hate any of that. <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't do that or my whole day would be ruined, but. Same. Just... Like, that's kind of the hippie equivalent of a Red Bull vodka, though. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so <clears throat> then love would also lead them in singing, and then he would deliver some spiritual messages for the day, and this is every morning, pre-dawn. Dang. So early as fuck. Um, they would only read the Bible. In fact, they, at many points, they had no other books in the entire community other than the Bible. Um, at one point, one of the women who was one of the main kind of teachers, she acquired a bunch of books for the children because she was teaching the children. And Love decided that 
there was too many other interfering messages. And so he forced them to burn all the books except for the Bible. And that happened a few different times for a few different reasons. Yikes. Um, yeah. So they all dressed like hippies. Duh. It's hippie time. Um, and kind of like Jesus, like I said, they would experiment with acid and love was in charge of everyone. Like he was the boss of everybody, especially the women. So we're now in full fledged cult times. Everybody's donated their shit. He's the only one in charge of all the people. Yeah. Here's the thing. That makes perfect sense because women can't make their own decisions. Yeah. You know, God, it's amazing. We can even make it through a day without a man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to survive. Gordon just left this morning to go down to Arizona and help his grandma and Layla and I might perish in the few days he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the quote unquote elders, like the founding people with him, um, had bigger responsibilities because they were there since the beginning. Like, well, the founding men obviously all of them no just yeah the founding men um like they ran various businesses they had a couple different construction companies they ran they had various um shops in queen anne some were like arts and crafts some were just they would sell um food that they grew they had um a few different restaurants and stuff in Queen Anne. Um, But of course, Love Israel kept all financial control. Obviously. Like you do. (laughs) So as more time went on, the group grew roughly to 350 members. Dang. And things got a bit tense. (laughs) (laughs) So they had 15 to 17, let's say, houses in Queen Anne. If you are familiar with the Seattle area, you know that, of course, as it's one of the older neighborhoods of Seattle, it is not doesn't have giant streets or like everything's very close together. (laughs) My mom, my mom is not alive anymore, but the first time my mom visited me, she screamed every time I passed like down a side street in my car. She was convinced we were going to hit something. Yeah. Streets in Seattle are literally wide enough for one car in some Mm -hmm. places. And that is all. And then people park on both sides of them. So you're like, essentially weaving back and forth in one one street so that you don't hit everyone's um, side mirrors as you just try to drive down a street. Much like any other very old city. Yeah. (laughs) So um, the original members slash elders felt that love was a little too in control um, and that they had led a little astray of the original tight-knit community, free love, everybody just 
coming together to make life work type of community they had originally set. So, um, oh, also some of the parents, because, you know, you, you're together for several years, you're eventually going to have kids born, especially in a very open free love type community. Um, <clears throat> some of the parents felt that their children's needs were being neglected. People didn't like that they had almost nothing while they saw that Love Israel actually lived very lavishly in his giant mansion. Um, he was the only one allowed to be the husband. I'm making air quotes here. Everyone else was just a, if they were together with a person, they were just a couple. But every woman was his wife. And if you were with some, with a woman, his wife was on loan to you and he could take her away from you. I sort of wish everybody could see my face right now. Yeah, it's very like, all the cringe face. <laughs> so these elders wrote him a letter voicing their issues, voicing their concerns. And rather than being like, oh my God, you're right, guys. This is totally not at all what we came to, what I envisioned and what we set up. He fucking took the letter and publicly ripped it to shreds in front of the whole group. Like, nah, I'm the leader. Fuck you guys. Um, and obviously this pissed them off slash hurt them to their core because they had quite literally donated everything and including their lives and their futures to this man and to this community. And so they kind of started a coup and two thirds of the entire community left. Um, and along with this two thirds was a member called Richness. Uh, Richness Israel also was actually born as Daniel Gruner and he happened to come into this as a very wealthy person and he was their main financier oh. and he, as leaving he's like mm, 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 mm. he didn't get that money for you know being dumb <laughs> so he wanted his money and his shit back so he serves love israel with a with a lawsuit and he, long story short, he ends up getting, in the lawsuit, he ends up getting the, the entire mansion and some money back. The remaining people that left, the, the other population of the two-thirds that left, got to kind of split the other properties that were on Queen Anne Hill. So they sold those and they could actually move on and try to start their own lives elsewhere. Um, so the remaining one third of the group had to move because they didn't have any of their Queen Anne Hill homes or the mansion or any of that shit. So roughly a hundred people, let's say. Um, they still had this one property left in Arlington, Washington, which is 
sort of northeast-ish of Seattle. Um, it's very, very rural. And they... Huh? Beautiful up there. It's pretty cool up there. Yeah. Um, into that sort of thing. Yeah. My husband and his family have a tiny little camping property in kind of this area, which is another reason why I just really want to tell this story because it's funny to me. Um, that right by where we camp every year, it's this. Anyway, um, so this was a 291 acre plot of land that they had owned already. And they they used it for farming. Some of the members actually did live there year round and maintained the farm. They also used it as a retreat. So in the summer, they would have their own kind of yearly festival within the group. And everybody would go there and kind of camp and party. And they did a lot of, you know, I mean, like it just looked like a normal well, not normal. It just looked like a hippie community. Just a bunch of people partying, listening to 60s, 70s rock music and playing music and dancing around crazy and smoking weed. And, you know, we've all seen the scenes. <laughs> and so the remaining members, 100 or so people, move there. They set up army tents and build some yurts and they live there. They... They called it the ranch in Arlington. Uh, the remaining members started immersing themselves into the Arlington community, which is really, really small. Even, I'm mean, like, now it's really, really small. So back then it had to be even smaller. That's kind of how population works. So <laughs> they started some businesses and um, they started growing garlic and they um, ended up even opening a restaurant called The Bistro that at one point was one of the nicest fine dining restaurants in all of Washington because they would serve, have you heard of this? You're making like- So I've heard of this cult and I've heard of this restaurant, but I didn't yeah. know they coexisted. Yeah. I didn't realize- It was there. The Holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah. So um, they, uh, they even in 1990, because there was a lot of, like some of the community was very curious about this quote unquote commune. And the rest of the community from Arlington was like, no, fuck those guys. We don't like what they're doing. They're a bunch of hippies. We hate hippies. No. So they're in trying to find ways to make some money and support their little commune. They're like, let's invite people onto our land. We've got this giant plot of land and a big field. Let's invite people out here and we'll have a garlic festival. So the annual, yeah, the annual Arlington Garlic Festival that went from 1990 until 2003-ish um, was run by this cult. So anybody out there, if you've been to the Arlington, yeah. <laughs> I never knew, never knew. Yeah, yeah. 
that's the craziest thing about this whole story is it's just like so undercover in our community that so many of us just never knew that they lived amongst us. <laughs> um, and yeah, and they're like, I mean, people are curious, so let them out here. You know, they can peek in our yurts. They can see our little farm. They can see our, they can pet our lambs and goats and cows and whatever and, and see that we're just trying to farm and live peacefully and love is love and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that was actually really successful. And they, the community started kind of accepting them and slash at least tolerating them. And so they're like, sweet, how else can we make money and support our community? And they're like, let's build a little village on our property. It'll be <laughs> like a mini European village. And so they come up with all these plans right about this time. And this is like mid nineties that they're coming up with all this. Um, they are actually late nineties when they were coming up with this. They start fighting with the county. <laughs> the county's like, oh, I don't, you guys keep just doing all this weird shit out there. And this is also in a time where the economy is kind of up and down and everybody's looking, still looking really down on marijuana, let alone any other psychedelic drugs. Cocaine ended up being a thing for them for a while, kind of a problem as it always tells in the 80s and 90s, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in fighting with the county to try and get things approved so they can build all their shit, their little mini village, um, they end up just dumping far too much money into this. And in February of 2003, they have to file bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in that time, because when you file for bankruptcy versus when you are bankrupt, you get time to try and recoup some of those funds. Um, they ended up having to sell that whole Arlington ranch. Um, they sold it to a Jewish church that now run that refurbished the whole area and now runs it as a preteen and teen Jewish summer camp to this day. That's well, pretty cool. This very day because of COVID, but <laughs> I, God, fuck. Right. That's too bad. That's a really cool purpose for that. Space, yeah. Though. Um, so when they sell the property, love and a very small handful of people, like a, pretty much everybody else was like, fuck this, we give up and they move away and try to start lives on their own. But then a small, small handful, probably 20 or so at the most people stay with him. And he and these people move to Bothell where my in-laws live. <laughs> And um, that's where they just kind of lived out just sort of normal lives. Uh, he and his wife, Harmony, were together somewhat the whole time um, with a obviously very open relationship. Um, they, ended, they had 
over time, they had 12 kids and 20 grandkids. Oh, boy. Um, Love Israel died in the year 20, in February of 2016 at the age of 75 years old. Wow. From prostate cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, However, the reason I said in the beginning that this cult had gone from 1968 to 2016 ish was because there is currently, and I sent you this link last night, a winery in Eastern Washington. (laughs) Okay. Before you finish. Yeah. I get this vague as fuck text last night. (laughs) Open this link. I'll tell you why tomorrow. And I'm, you know, we drink wine. So shock surprise to nobody. We drink beer. We happen to know a lot about beer and we enjoy it. We also drink a lot of booze and wine. Let's be honest. We just drink all the things. We do. But I drink a lot of wine. So at first I'm like, oh, she's going to tell me some really cool thing about why I need to buy wine from these people. Because I recently found a, a bourbon that's a locally made bourbon that's grown oh, yeah. by women. Also, speaking of that, support Freeland distiller mm-hmm. in Portland. Not only is it delicious, but... And they make a lot of things. They have like gin, etc. But anyway, I have no fucking idea. I'm like, why is she making me like this? I like scanned their website. <laughs> like top yes. to bottom. I was like, there's got to be something I'm missing. I'm like, you and I need to go here. I'll tell you why tomorrow. I totally want to go now. Pull <laughs> <laughs> my wine glass and judge the fuck out of everybody the whole time I'm there. So anyway... <laughs> free love and all (laughs) (laughs) tell me more (laughs) oh what do you guys think is gonna save the world i'm thinking it's love (laughs) (laughs) honey are you saying that love is real Hmm? love is real (laughs) so yeah china bend winery in kettle falls washington eastern washington um they still grow a lot of garlic there and sell various con- garlic condiments. Of course they do. <laughs> and it's a winery and it is still run by former, quote unquote, former members of the cult. And if you look, go back to that link I sent you on their website, if you look at the about section, one of the things says that there's a quote that says, our founding members believe that love is real. Okay. Also, it looks gorgeous. It does. Absolutely phenomenal. They have an inn and everything, and it's an organic winery, and I am fucking down. (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't support cults. However, folks that whole fucking spiel is just literally love. There's no, like, I want to murder or steal Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Fine. Live on a commune. Good for you. If I could afford to buy a big ass chunk of property, I would gladly invite close friends and family to live on that property. And I mean, I already barter as it is and I live in the fucking city. Right. But I would go to their winery is the point. I'm there. I'm, I'm smelling a, uh, a vacation in our future. (laughs) I also am feeling compelled to change. So everybody knows my last name is Toten. Uh-huh. Uh, that is my married name. <laughs> and I am a divorced person. Mm-hmm. 
said that I never felt a connection to my maiden name either because I wasn't that close to my dad or his family for that matter. Right. But now I'm strongly considering changing my name to Smash is Real. <laughs> <laughs> Ash is Real. <laughs> oh, I feel like if I went to court for that, a judge would be like, are mm. you for real? Are you for real? Like, uh, that's what I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. So here's to cults, man. (laughs) They're very entertaining. And occasionally they make some good garlic products and wine. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Way to make lemonade, I guess. I I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> that was a rad fucking story. I had, like, I'd heard of that cult, but I never knew anything really about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not ever know the dude's name was Love is Real, and that is going to literally just kill my soul forever. <laughs> the sad hard. thing is, as happens with so many good intentions, when you give a person generally a guy too much power they just can't fucking handle it (laughs) it his whole thing started with such great intentions and then it grew too big and he was like nope i am the end all be all (laughs) yeah great i'll do it guys there is a a little documentary that was done by one of the former members. Um, I believe it's one of his sons, actually. Justice is real. Yeah. And um, fun fact. (laughs) I watched it and it was like, I mean, there's a few little tidbits of info, but it really just gave you an idea of what it was like to live amongst them, which was kind of cool. And really it was just, all these people that wanted to feel a part of something. I mean, this was very much post World War II when so much of the U S was just feeling lost. And and that's why this whole hippie movement was so big and why there were so many cults and communes back in this time. So, you know, it was just one of them and it happened to be here. Man. Yeah. God, though today we did fresh hops. Mm-hmm. We both had a dark fall beer while it's fucking pouring outside. It's officially fall. And we spoke about cults. <laughs> We're really getting the roots of this podcast, you guys. No. <laughs> You're <guys are> welcome. <laughs> well, unless you have anything else, I think we. I Fun fact, I don't need a third beer today. Right. I mean, at least not right. At least not while recording. No. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> dinner should happen first. Yes. All right. We're going to go get some dinner. Um, until next time, until next Monday, drink good local beer. And please tip your fucking bartenders. Bye-bye. Thank you and good day. <laughs> For more information, we can be found on Instagram 
at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com or our website, Seattle on You can also like us on Facebook and all of the Seattle on tap original music is provided by bubble baptism, courtesy of the subterranean recording collective. <laughs>